Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. Touchdown. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. Yes! It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. And welcome to a January edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am introducing a first-time guest, but not a first-timer on Le Grove. Um, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Pete. It's good to be here. Long-time listener, first-time speaker. Yeah, very excited. Um, very excited to have you on. Um, I went out and I bought a new $300 microphone. Uh, so I'm very excited because I, I am hoping that it's going to get rid of some of that weird white noise. It's called a, it's called an Aston, which right. So I'd better say three hundred dollars worth of valuable insight about Arsenal. Otherwise, it would have been a, a shoddy investment. Exactly. I really need you yeah. to up the levels today. Uh, I need hundreds of thousands of people listening to this podcast. Um, okay. So, Alex, um, tell us a little bit about your um, your Arsenal fan credentials. Well, I mean, they're, they're not as impressive as yours or as other people have been on on the pod uh, previously. But I'm I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, I've been the season ticket holder on and off for a, for a couple of years now. Currently in uh, in the North Bank. Um, uh, yeah, so I go to most games uh, and uh, have really been following Ar- Arsenal in earnest. I guess uh, for for over twenty years. I guess uh, maybe longer. Yeah, we actually had. A, uh, you've you've been an Arsenal season ticket holder longer than a couple of years because we were going to the Arsenal. Well, that must have been six, seven years ago now. Together. Well, I was, I, yeah, I was trying to remember when the first season was. We went together. Was it sort of oh eight, oh nine? Yeah, it uh, must have been. It must have been. Yeah. And in it, yeah. it uh, did, didn't we uh, didn't we reunite after university? Yes. Yeah. So I was. Um, yeah, I mean, we we were obviously friends at university. And sort of quite separately from that, I, after a couple of years, I, I'd been reading Le Grove, thinking, "Oh, this is this is interesting. Um, this this book sounds um, sounds like a laugh." And then, sort of by by accident, I realised it was actually you, and and that so so we we became closer again and started going to the football. You gave me an opportunity to write for the blog, which was good fun. I haven't done it for a while, um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, quite a strange coincidence. It's, it's almost like a, an Arsenal fan love story. When you think about it, it is. It's quite romantic in a way. It's quite romantic. It's. um, I always find it very interesting with the sort of people that you meet from Le Grove because I think there's this impression that people that make friends on the internet are a little bit weird. But 
They, yeah. Time and time again, the sort of people that you meet like online, they're, 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 they're great. And I don't know what it is about Arsenal fans, but I've only had, I think I've only had one bad experience in uh, you know, the best part of 13, 14 years. So um, it's good to have you on. Um, and it's also good to have you on during uh, a period of optimism uh, and, and excitement. Uh, so like before we get into like more a more detailed analysis, like top line thoughts on uh, on the man Mikel Arteta. What do you think? Yeah, well, I have to caveat it by saying, I mean, I really, really wasn't a fan of Unai Emery. Probably similar to you, even sort of as he was being appointed, I was I was despairing. So um, I sort of the analogy I gave, I suppose, is like a, you know someone who's been starving in the desert. Suddenly, you give them a, a biscuit or a cracker, and it's going to taste amazing. So I have to caveat my, my appreciation for Arteta that it's is sort of the context is I was really despairing up until a, a few weeks ago about the status of the team in the club. Um, but overall, I absolutely love the bloke. I think he's been um, re- really, really brilliant for the club. And actually, you know, you and I both wanted him initially sort of 18 months ago. And it, we had a sort of, there was no way of knowing how impactful he would be. Um, and I think actually he's had more impact beyond any anything anyone ex- expected the obvious again the caveat is the results haven't quite been there for him but even just doing the basic stuff like getting you know setting up the team to play to players strengths or getting them to run a bit more or improving how they engage with fans it's been a real breath of fresh air because i would argue we didn't have that under emery we might have had it in the first sort of couple of weeks and i don't really think we had it much uh, the last couple of years and under Wenger, where it was sort of, we weren't really more than the sum of our parts, and we just had to rely on um, the, the individual ability and understanding of our players to get things done. So it, it it feels like finally, sort of, we're we're sort of taking the coaching side of of, of football seriously at Arsenal, which I think I think is really good. So I, I'm really happy with him. That's um yeah, that that's great to to hear, and I think. I think I'm. I'm well, it's pretty obvious that I'm absolutely with you on this one. This is um, this is my all of my Christmases rolled into one. But just overall, I mean, like we'll, we'll jump into the Palace game pretty shortly. But um, it was it, it ran at seven thirty here, and to yeah, how was that? Oh man, like I, I was I was out of I was up I was up and out of bed at six, like fucking jumping around the apartment. I I genuinely. Yeah. Couldn't wait to watch Arsenal go away to Crystal Palace, which has not been a has, has not been a fun stomping ground. I mean, even even when we win or or, or we get a result there, we generally get absolutely battered. Yeah. Um, so so for there to be joy back in in the Arsenal, and you know, I was speaking to somebody on the phone earlier about this. Um, it's, I, I've started to ignore my phone during the game, and I know that, yeah, that, yeah. that sounds like a very modern fan thing to say, but. Like I, I, I would say the last eighteen months, and that probably go even further back. The last five years, generally, what's happening on Twitter has been more interesting than what's been happening yeah. on the pitch. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, sorry. This is if, well, no, sorry. This is the um, you know, the, obviously the podcast sort of wanky New Year's resolutions because my mine was also to look look less at my phone, um, especially during football matches because I was exactly the same. Usually, I'm more sort of engaged with what's happening on Twitter than actually watching the game. But it, it's it's not really. I hadn't needed to force it because it's it's been genuinely exciting. And I think it's just the excitement of having a new manager in. But just the team is doing exciting things. We might might not always be winning, but um, I'm the same as you. I was thinking about this game sort of 
you know, on Tuesday, Wednesday this week, I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch a, watch the Palace game, which is, you know, <laughs> I haven't felt like that about Arsenal for, for you know, at least it never felt like that under Unai Emery. So I think that's just, a, that, that's great, at least for me anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so like talking of um, talking of the Palace game, I think that we should just dive right in. Um, we're gonna gonna try out um, a new format because we had mm. conversations um, when we were hanging out um, in Peckham over over Christmas uh, that maybe we should get a bit more of a rigid format this year. So we're just gonna do like a super basic like. Um, what do we think of the attack? What do we think of the defence? What do we think of the performance? And then any players of note, um, you know, names that have uh, that have stood out. And I, I guess the great thing now is we do have a manager that has demonstrated that within uh, three weeks you can improve players. So there's actually yeah. quite quite a lot. Um, if we would discuss three players, um, it'd be difficult to pick out which ones you'd go for. Um, mm. So overall, um, I think I think Unai, I think. Arteta picked uh, a starting eleven, um, the same starting eleven in succession for the first time in over a year, um, fit, and he's got all of his stars in there. Um, he started with uh, with with Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Meza Özil. Um, so, if we were to like, it, for me, overall, if if there is something that Arteta hasn't solved yet, and obviously there are many things, but something that really feels like it needs quite a lot of work is. Um, we are not making the most of the early possession that we have yeah. in games at the moment. So, what, like, what's what's your take on, on what's going on with, with with the attack at the moment? Arsenal completely dominated the opening thirty minutes, switched off a little mm-hmm. bit towards the end. Obviously, seeing half time in was important to them. But like, what what's going what's going wrong? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's anything going wrong. I think it feels like the challenge for the team is. We've been really quick out of the blocks in some games, so obviously Chelsea and United um, and against Crystal Palace. Um, but where we struggled is when the, the, the manager or the team we're facing have made a change to sort of um, adapt to what we're doing. And I think it's then we struggled to sort of take it up a gear. So you saw like the first 25 minutes against Crystal Palace. I mean, we completely destroyed them. It was just David Luiz sort of firing long balls down left to Aubameyang and Klasenac and they were giving him so much time and space on the ball and he was just completely running the game and I think we, we were looking good without an impact without much impact but I think that was more because we, we didn't want to rush things and um, you know we were taking our time and being measured and looking for the opening and then it, it obviously came with Aubameyang's goal um, but I think what changed is when they they clearly had instruction or, or sort of realised they need to needed to press a lot harder from the front don't give Louise time on the ball. Let you know. Let Socrates be the, the defender with the ball, and that's when our sort of rhythm got disrupted, and we we were sort of creating the, the whole game got disrupted. We were creating fewer chances, and I think I mean, we come on to talk about performance, but I think the challenge or the, the sort of unknown for Arteta at the moment is he's good at sort of getting that initial setup right, but when the, when it's against Bielsa who marks, you know, does doesn't let us play that way, or when Lampard makes a change that makes that more difficult so far we haven't seemed to have an answer to it and I don't know whether that's we need time because it's players fitness or they're getting used to a different uh, system um, or getting used to tactical variation or it's just the players aren't good enough and we need new players I don't know what, what did you think yeah I think I think that's a I think that's a pretty good assessment I, I think 
I think it's a, a great observation that, you know, Arteta hasn't quite had the ability to... Well, I guess it's unfair to say that he hasn't had the ability to adapt in-game. I mean, the, 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 the Chelsea game, I, I felt, you know, we should have won that. Um, and it, it, not many teams in the world can deal with a, a Mustafi in the starting eleven. No, yeah, yeah. Um, so I felt that we were unlucky there. And then in the, in the Leeds game... Which, which arguably is the only game that's seen a really bad half of football. Um, he did adapt and, you know, yeah. put a rocket up, um, put a rocket up the players and, and we turned it on in the second half and, um, and rescued the performance. Um, I think part of, um, part of the challenge is that um, there, there aren't a lot of uh, rabbits he can pull out of the hat. You know, yeah. like he's, the, the squad is built for Unai Emery. It's not built for... Um, Arteta's uh, attacking possession-based philosophy. So mm. when when uh, when they cut uh, David Luiz out of the game and, uh, and made uh, Socrates play, it kind of uh, like where else do you go? I mean, ideally um, next year we'll have like a number of ball-playing centre blacks. You'd have um, Saliba, you'd have Callum Chambers fit, hopefully, uh, and, and then you wouldn't suffer that problem. So I feel like it, uh, he probably has. Um, an idea of what he'd do in those situations, just doesn't have the tools at his disposal at the moment. I kind of, yeah. I, I, I thought, I thought the, I thought there were a few things at play, um, like with the attack. I think that Lacazette is a- absolutely blitzed when it comes to confidence um, at the moment. I thought it was yeah. quite interesting. Somebody posted a story that he's been busted cheating on his girlfriend. Uh, yeah, like he, he, he's, but with with some some club waitress, it's a, a, a son special. I wonder if that's uh, right. I, wa- I wonder if that's weighing on his mind. Didn't um, that happen? To, didn't that happen to Giroud a couple of years ago? And then he he sort of his game went up a level. I mean, <laughs> yeah, his game on the pitch. Sorry, his game, his, his football game. I'm because sure, there wasn't there that story about him, and I'm sure he, he actually got better. I'm not saying there's a. Was it, that, that was on the, wasn't that on, he got um, he, he ran off with uh, some some hairdresser that he'd met on the eve of a, of a Manchester City game. Yeah, it was something weird. But I'm yeah. sure he scored that scorpion kick kick around that time. Maybe I'm just um, yeah. I, I also I also think maybe I'm making excuses for a player that's uh, not managed to score. A, 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 he's not managed to score an away goal for a year, but he is scoring away. Mm. Very so clever. He's a, he's a weird one, isn't he? Because I I. He's for me. He's a bit like Emery. I wasn't really a fan of his, and it's you know, people. I think people tend to hype him and and put project onto him abilities and skills. That I don't think he necessarily has, but I actually think under Arteta, he is. He's been really good and a really good team player, and he's led from the front in terms of the pressing, which has actually added to our defensive stability. I just don't think he is ever going to be quick enough or sort of strong enough to to get the number of goals in the Premier League that we need to be sort of competing so I actually I've, I didn't I sort of have grown to like him a bit more in recent weeks I think he's really been impressive as his finishing hasn't been up to much but I think he's probably a player you look to upgrade in the if you know if, if possible but to upgrade in the summer and um, just because I, I just don't think physically he's ever going to be at the level for the, the Premier League to get those kind of goals. Yeah, and I think the, the physicality goes beyond just power and pace. It's also stamina. Mm, mm. You know, n- yeah, no, he's absolutely busted at every... He's gassed at the end of every game, isn't he? Yeah, somebody yeah. somebody mentioned on the blog that um, 
uh, Suarez is out for the next four months. So one can only hope that Barcelona have got <laughs> spare 60 million that yeah. they're willing to uh, spend badly on uh, on Lacazette. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he, he, does, um, he does a lot of the dirty work for the team. Um, and <laughs> despite having limited capabilities, you know, he often pops up with important goals and, um, you know, he, he made... He made the assist yesterday. I think, um, yeah. yeah, and I, I think the I, th- I think the the challenges that we've got with um, with that front line is again like they're not they're not really built for Arteta football. I think, nah. and I, I almost think that uh, Aubameyang being out for the next three games is going to be quite interesting because I can't wait to see what Martinelli is going yeah. to do because I think as we've mentioned in uh, our little Arsenal group. Martinelli is the Gabriel Jesus of Arsenal, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean like we hope at 19 years old. He's that cliche about Brazilian football. He's like the street footballer kind of nonsense cliche. But I think he he is, you know, he's really tenacious, um, which is great to see. And it sort of suits Arteta's system really well. And again, sort of leading from the front. But he's just kind of one of those guys. He just doesn't seem to mess about and he's just got an eye for goal and he sort of just wants it's like, almost like a Bamiang where it's just like, I just I don't really care about flair and skills I just want to score and score and score um, so yeah I think the, the, the positive in, in a way it would have been not nicer but it would have been better if it had been Lacazette out for three games and then you could see maybe a Bamiang on the left and Martinelli through the middle because I think that could be something for next season possibly um, or possibly switch those two round I think that would be exciting but um I guess that's the silver lining out of um, out of the Aubameyang red card. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and see what you think, but I, I, I almost wonder whether um, a player like Martinelli should be modelling his game on Jamie Vardy. Mm. You know, like they're 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 both um, workhorses. They've both got electric pace, um, good in the air, good around the box. I mean, if if there's a if there's a if there's a striker that you want to replicate in the Premier League yeah. at the moment, it's it's probably Jamie Vardy, and um, he's got very similar attributes. Because I originally thought that yeah. maybe he had a little bit of Van Persie about him. I'm not I'm not sure he's quite that spectacular, but he's he's better in the box. What like he you know I feel like he's got the potential to be better in the box. Um, Would that you know, a bit more British in, in, in his approach yeah. to football? I think his his profile is quite similar in his sort of physical attributes, but I don't know if Vardy. I haven't watched enough of Leicester to say, but I'm, most of Vardy's goals you see are sort of counter-attacking. You know, he's he's sort of one-on-one with the defender and just sort of absolutely blitzes them. And I don't know if Arsenal aren't as set up to play like that um, and haven't ever really played counter. Well, not for, not for a long time played counter-attacking football. But I, I know what you mean. I think you that is a player he's similar to in profile. Yeah. So another favourite uh, of ours to talk about is uh, the enigma that is um, Nicolas Pepe. Uh, I, I think that you know part of the reason that we're not scoring goals at the moment uh, or hitting the target is because players like Pepe are not really in the form the, uh, that we'd hoped. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on on Pepe? Like he's, he's getting a little bit more game time now. Um, yeah. He looks a little bit more happy. In the side, and he's playing with a manager that likes attacking football. Um, do do we think there's a player in there? Oh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, again, my i I've, I've gone completely over the top with the Pepe love. I was so excited when we signed him, purely based on the hype of sort of a few 
people who you, who sort of football opinions you respect and watch watching YouTube compilation videos, which I realise doesn't make me an authority on anything. But I was super excited about him, and you just see enough in his game when he's playing, even when he's sort of not playing well. We like his his movement, his ability to sort of ghost past people, and also his his shot, like his his like a missile is is so exciting, and you just think there's there's definitely something world class there. I think yesterday was the first time, and again, you, you know, because we're on that group together, but the, yesterday was the first time I actually got pissed off with him, and I was like, oh, I've sort of excused him every other game, and I'm like, well, he's playing in the dreadful setup under Emery, or he's not fit, or he hasn't got the, Arteta doesn't think he's, he's, he's got the, the confidence or the fitness yet. Yesterday was sort of, you know, he, he should be there by now, but he just looked like, you know, the sort of, those performances Ozil used to turn in about, six months a year ago where he just sort of mope around and every time he get the ball he'd just sort of trip up over it and just sort of look really unconfident and un- unconfident. I think even even the funny thing about him is even when he plays like that he's still able to create chances and be dangerous. He always had that shot against the post. But yesterday was the, the first time I thought actually he, he should have been subbed. Um whereas before I was I, I was always sort of keen for keeping him on the pitch. What what do you think? How are you feeling about him? Yeah, I had uh, I had similar feelings about him yesterday. I think he is a very unorthodox player, and I, when when Meza Ozil used to turn in those performances, um, you know, f- like I, I think um, Arsenal fans are a little bit like uh, you know, like the general populace of a country. I think we were having a conversation about this where you say that um, you always underestimate. Um, People like what, what people know, the general population know, and it, you know comes yeah. comes through in like voters, and um, I, I yeah. feel like it's a little bit with Arsenal fans because Arsenal fans constantly, you know, Arsenal fans that go constantly bemoaned um, Meza Özil's body language, and you know the kind of the the champagne socialist football fans are like body language doesn't matter, it's not important. And you know, Mikel Arteta has come out and said very specifically that he that he looks for body language on a pitch. So I think it's yeah. you know, and, and I've heard a number of managers um, over the last three months um, talk in those terms. And I kind of feel like um, Nicolas Pepe's body language uh, it, it lacks it lacks confidence. But yesterday, I kind of felt like he was a little bit too casual. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, like that, even even the shot that struck the post right at the end, like it, if it, it 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 felt like he was like half a second behind everybody, you know, like it, yeah. like he just about got it off. But I think the really disappointing moment in the game um, was late on when he had Granite Jacker on an overlap, which is hilarious in itself, and he just yeah. he just passed it into the fullback like very casual, and you know, like it just needs he needs a he needs a little bit more uh, urgency in his game, he needs a little. Bit bit more focused but I do I do think there's something special about him and I, I, I've said it a, a few times before um, in the blog like he really reminds me of Kanu with that sort of unorthodox sort of moment style. Yeah. yeah and you, you, you know like when um he sort of drag like he, he, he you know he'll, he'll turn to the left and then he sort of slides the ball across to the right yeah. uh, as he's cutting in it's like it feels very Kanu-esque and obviously at a well, much he, faster pace he reminds me more of um of Ozil and his, his sort of running and dribbling style. And it's just the, the sort of dip, the, the movement and drop of the shoulder, his ability to beat people. He's sort of like Ozil, but with the shot of, I don't know, Van Persie or someone. Like he's, he's, like he's one of those players who's just got the ability to sort of find the goal whenever he shoots. Um, 
but yeah, it's just been it. So that's what's frustrating when you see him. You're just like, well, you know, if you could, you could work harder. You could, you know, but it, I don't know. It just it was just yesterday was the first time I got a bit, yeah, a bit frustrated with him, uh, which is a shame. I'm sure he'll be devastated about that, but um, you know. Yeah, he's, um, he's going to be dialing into next week's podcast. Yes, I want to. I want to talk about that Alex guy. So, um, yeah. I, I guess. I guess the the the, the like Meza Özil. I mean, uh, solid performance. Um, Not I, like, that, yeah. But uh, it, I feel like it's it's always going to be a difficult game f- um, for a, for a team that um, defends uh, like Crystal Palace, or uh, you know, in the sense that they're they're bully boys, and Meza doesn't yeah. do very well against them. And I think the the other thing to consider with the attack is that um, we we've been absolutely beasted over you know the last month or so. The players are, are training in a different way; they're having to learn to play in a different style. Um, yeah. And the the midweek game against Leeds. Uh, you know, Leeds are probably one of the hardest working teams in the country. They ran us absolutely ragged. There won't be many teams yeah. that have more possession than us at home this season. And Palace rested uh, a large proportion of their squad. They played five academy players, lost Derby in the FA Cup. Like those yeah. those things add up. And I just think that um, you know the the players are physically fatigued, and I think the they're probably mentally fatigued as well. Um, I mean, yeah. Um, but but even then we went down to ten men and uh, you know we created more in the second half than we did in the first and I think that people yeah, are, are missing that. Well. Yeah, we responded well to going down to ten men. I mean, uh, yeah, I know it did, I was at the Leeds game and it was bloody hard. But you know they were an incredible team um, in terms of how they press. Um, I, I sort of said going into this one, uh, this was a bit of a litmus test for me because again, sort of me just getting carried away with stuff. I I thought if we win this given the game we had against Leeds and it's away and Palace are difficult, I, I thought we're going to go on a run and we're going to get top four. And I thought I thought if we didn't win it, I think it shows that actually the road to recovery is, is slightly longer than we had hoped. Um, again, not just in terms... I think fitness is, a, is the, the, major, the major issue and, and getting that up to a level. But like I said, I still think there's something in... You know, so far, Arteta's tactics are... And it's not to sort of... Uh, devalue them they're sort of Guardiola 101 you know like yeah. the 2-3-5 the, the when we're in possession and the, the high press and all that stuff what will be interesting is again when you come up against teams that you know really press you Guardiola's uh, City are good enough now to, to sort of beat that beat the press and play around it and it, that was the hallmark of sort of the Barcelona team and you can see it with Liverpool at the moment I'm not saying we're anywhere near that level but I think that it's easy to look good against a team like United, who was so poorly coached. They just sort of let us have our game plan the entire game, and those will have loads of space. But a better manager and a better team will will sort of work that out, press us, and we need to be good enough to 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 work around that or adapt to that or beat that. And it, like you said, to be fair, you said yeah, the second half of Leeds we did do that. But I think that's the question about is it the fitness and ability of these players, or do we need? Are we just going to have to wait till we get better players and hope that we can, you know, tempt or be smart enough in the market to to get them in? So I think that I was going to come on to it and we talk about transfers, but we're sort of talking about it now. But like for me, the, and this is sort of ironic given I think I think Lacazette and Jacker, who is another one I wasn't really a fan of, have, have improved so much and are, are really important to the team. But I think if if you could get upgrades on those two, you know, more physical, quicker. 
better on the ball, or, or so not necessarily better on the ball, but you know, able to move the ball quicker and, and beat players. I think that you'd see such a difference in the team. But that's something we can't address at the moment, and probably would be lucky if we could find upgrades on them in the summer. Yeah, and I, th- I think that um, it's becoming pretty apparent why he wants to keep Meza Ozil and Granite Jacker. I think, yeah. I think they call them servers in the game. They have players that can serve the ball between the lines. And yeah. if you take Jacker and Meza Ozil out of the side, um, you don't have many players that can move the ball between the lines. And I think that if Arteta was in the market for players like, obviously, somebody that was more mobile um, uh, in defensive midfield, but I, I'm guessing he's hoping that he can keep Torreira fit all season. But I think that he'd probably be looking for more players of the ilk of um, Meza Ozil. Yeah. Um, because yeah. we we really don't look particularly good in the final third. And, you know, even now transitioning the ball out of the back, you know, we've had to resort to putting Granite Jacker into left back and like feeding yeah. a lot of our play through David Luiz. Um, but so, I d- I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think, I, was, I mean, I was going to, I don't know if we were going to, are we still on the attack? Or are we going to talk about def- defence? Oh, I think that, that I think that you've just found the perfect segue to, to talk <laughs> yeah. about the defensive side of the game because, yeah. um, ultimately, uh, I think if you were going to talk about uh, any anything of the Arteta reign, it's that he's building from the back, right? He's yeah. set, he's set solid foundations in, and I think that, you know. As a complete amateur, I, I was thinking, well, take advantage of the attack and get that firing, and then we'll, you know, go Kevin Keegan to the rest of the season. But he's yeah. done the impossible, and he's built solidity into into our squ- into our side without even having a, a plethora of first choice players. So, yeah. you know, what you're making of the defense at the moment? What's um, what's really impressed you? No, I, I, I think it's you're right, and it's it's that sort of old. Um... Um, George Graham idea that our, our, well yeah, well, they, well, yeah I, sent, I think I sent you a thing because you could see they were the back forward doing sort of George Graham era warm-ups um, uh, before the Palace game someone, someone shared a video of it on Twitter which I thought was really exciting I think it's this old um, myth that Arsenal fans or won't, won't appreciate a, a team that's good defensively I just think it's such nonsense like it's, it's really exciting that we're really hard to break down and that teams aren't getting shots against us. And you, you, you go to the, you know, you've been to games recently and uh, in the stadium when there's, fans love it when players track back and put in a crunching tackle and, you know, do all that stuff. So I think it's actually, much, for the long term, it's much better we're sort of building our base from there. And I think, I was going to say your point about, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily that, you know, David Luiz was sort of, pinging the ball out from the back because it's just another tool in our arsenal that um, the opposition team has to deal with. And I think actually the good thing about the defence or the defensive structure is it's, and and this has been said, you know, ad infinitum elsewhere, but like it emphasises players' strengths. So actually Xhaka dropping into this sort of left-back role means he's, he's pressed less, he's got more time and space to sort of pick out those line-breaking passes. So I actually think it's good. I think my point was more that actually a player like Jacker, who's more physical, you'd have more tactical flexibility with him than perhaps we do with with Xhaka. But I think, but on on the defence generally, it's great. You know, you see Luis and Socrates are much more aggressive, which is the thing that used to just you know again the sort of in the stadium perspective that just drive drive people crazy. You just see them both those players just backing off, backing off. It's like putting a challenge. Come on, that's what we're, you're, you're, 
we're, we're here to see. We want to see you defend and be aggressive. And it's so great that they're, they're sort of doing that already. And I think everyone's talked about Maitland-Niles and his sort of inverted fullback position or whatever it's called. I think the good thing about him is he was... He was. I actually really, really like him, and I think he's got a, uh, a sort of long-term place in the team there. But he, he still sort of makes errors. But the good thing is because he, he's quite laid back, and he, he try sometimes will go for a pass he probably shouldn't go for. But the good thing is his his mistakes are sort of covered. And I think he there are a couple in the Leeds game or in the, maybe it's United game where he did a bit of a, a, a dodgy pass and it got cut out. But because our defensive structure is so good, it wasn't. A, you know, too grave an error. So I think there's, I'm same as you, really, really excited about the defence. I think that the last thing I'll just say is, um, don't you just love that? Like we're doing, we're being smarter as well. So like tactical, not obviously discount Aubameyang's foul, which was horrendous and definitely a red card. But there's like tactical fouling and time wasting and just little things like if the other team have a free kick, our player will just take the ball away a couple, just so the team can get reset. And I know it sounds like you know the starving man in the desert isn't this exciting, but we we never we haven't done that for years. Just the little smart things in the game to give you a bit of an advantage. So yeah, I think the defence is the, the most interesting, exciting bit. Yeah, I mean that was that was uh, an an impassioned uh, <laughs> an impassioned celebration of the yeah. defence. I, I completely agree. And you know, just um, if you sort of helicopter out of of what you're saying there. Uh, I, I love how um, how many similarities there are in football now to you know what goes on in the real world, and if you if you manage a team in the real world, and you know in advertising you've got uh, an an art director that is rubbish uh, uh, at shooting food, you don't yes. put that art director on all your food accounts because the the work out the other end will be terrible, and I feel like. Um, Arteta has come in and he said, okay, what are the tools that I have at my disposal? I'm going to look at every single one of the tools that I have. Um, I'm going to understand them emotionally um, and what's driving them. Uh, I'm going to understand their game in great detail. And when I set up my teams, I'm going to set up so I I, reduce um, their their weaknesses and strengthen, um, strengthen where they have like great ability. And I feel like um, the the jacker move, like I don't know what, what we're calling it, a false three or a fake three. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 a genius move. And now Granite Jacker, um, I, I mean, nobody can deny that he's uh, he's a bad passer of the ball. The guy, you know, the guy's got anything in his game. It's the fact that you know he's got ninety four, ninety five percent pass completion rate in a lot of games. Um, at Maitland Niles is like you know I'd actually quite like to be in midfield, but I know that and he he was so desperate to be in midfield he took a red card early in the season um, to get out of the duties and now yeah. and Arteta said look I can't give you a midfield role but what I can do is I can give you a bit of a midfield role so we'll play this inverted game so that you'll get in the both you know the best best of both worlds and yeah. even um, even Kalasenak. Uh, oh yeah, you know, it's like, like a world beater. He's yeah. finding people with his crosses. It's yeah, a new world. And it's and great. he's he's being protected from uh, being put into one on one situations. And we're yeah. we're utilizing uh, you know his skill moving forward. He's obviously been told to look up a little bit more before he crosses the ball. And on top of that, like he he looks like he looks like the guy who fought off two knife wielding criminals in North London at the moment. Like he was flying into challenges and uh, 
and I, I, it's just like the, the the basics of coaching. Yeah. Understand what you've got at your disposal, and then maximize it on the pitch. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that Arteta is doing a good job at showing that all of this nonsense that players are uncoachable was completely uh, and yeah. utterly bollocks. And I, 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 I can't wait to see what happens when he starts putting the right players in those positions because mm. you know this squad isn't built for. Um, for Arteta football, but it, it, the same way, you know, when um, when Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool, results were very, very up and down um, for the first season, and people were questioning uh, whether he was the right coach to take them forward. Um, yeah. And but you'd get incredible results where he'd beat teams, you know, five six nil, and then you'd get some bad results. I mean, he even lost the Europa League final to Unai Emery. Um, but everybody, everybody Jeez. could see that the underlying performance factors um, were taking grip. And for, for for me, what I'd like to see as the season goes out is you know a more solid defence. I think uh, the the next big litmus test for me, maybe not Chelsea, but I, I would love to see us put in a resolute defensive performance against Spurs. And like, wouldn't it be great if we kept a clean sheet against Liverpool and nicked the goal late on to stop them oh, breaking wow. our record? So if can we... I can I say something that's sacrilegious to, about that? What about the record? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to draw the hate of loads of people. But I just I get it. It's it's amazing, and obviously, but I, it's just like it's it's like when United fans talk about the '99 season. It's like yeah, it's part of the his, your history and all all that stuff. But it's like just, it's it's going to get broken at some point. So like I don't know, maybe I've just put my foot in it massively, but I just I kind of want to protect it and preserve it. But like someone said, would you rather Tottenham beat Liverpool to to get rid of the record? It's like no, I I always want Tottenham to lose, especially when Mourinho is a manager. Um, so maybe I'm you know maybe I'm not a proper Arsenal fan. I don't know. Have I just said something sacrilegious? Do you, do you oh, disagree? I'm I'm trying to disconnect your line right now. <laughs> You're a, you're a disgrace. So, hanging on the defence as well, because uh, uh, you know, there's um, there, there's always this weird sort of um, Arsenal fan political spectrum that goes off where when uh, when Unai Emery took over, the Arsene Wenger fans all of a sudden learned how to critique managers. And the Arsene out fans were like, you don't dare question Unai Emery. We, we, we can't do this. We've been campaigning for 10 years. We've got to make it happen. Yeah. And, and now we've got uh, Arteta and fans that were uh, telling everybody that you need 18 months to imprint an identity on a club. Yeah. And the, the Arsenal players under Unai Emery were uncoachable and now finding their, um, their critical eye when it comes to Arteta. And a few people yesterday said to me that Arsenal folded um, against uh, Crystal Palace. Um, I, I, I feel like a, a lot of context has gone missing from that performance overall, particularly the, the yes. defensive performance. For me, folding is uh, Arsenal versus Watford earlier on in the season when you concede 35 um, shots at goal from a team that's facing yeah. relegation. That's folding. Um, I don't think that Arsenal folded yesterday. Like we, we didn't maintain our level of performance for the entirety of the match, for sure, but we actually created more in the second half. Um, but from a, from a defensive perspective, um, like people don't consider the, the mitigating circumstances. I thought, firstly, the, it was an incredibly bad refereeing performance um, again. Yeah, was, yeah. You know, yeah, I was going to ask if we can talk. I don't want to be one of those people who moans about the ref. But, and, and again, the Aubameyang challenge was a red card, but he was just 
it's just sort of inconsistent. And I, I again, I kind of get wound up by people who like, think there's some vast conspiracy against, like, as if the refs and the Premier League all got together and went, do you know the team we're going to really screw over this season? It's going to be Arsenal. I don't think it's anything like that, but I just think there's just, you know, the, the Chelsea and the United games were, were awful, awfully refed. And was it was it Chelsea where they didn't get any... Any yellow cards or was it United? It was a Chelsea game where Jorginho didn't get sent off for um, a blatant foul, and the referee yeah. actually, the, the referee actually got dropped. Yeah, um, because the just, performance was so bad. Yeah, it was. Uh, so that was yeah. He but he just seemed to be totally sort of rumbled by the crowd. So every time they appealed, there was a you know there was a, a free kick, and I, I don't think it would have made. A massive difference on the score, you know. People talking about Ayu did a lot of fouls. I think he might have got a yellow card eventually, but he would have been on the pitch, so it wasn't sort of the reason. But it's just a bit frustrating um, that it keeps sort of happening. Yeah, absolutely. So you're dealing with um, you're dealing with a bad referee. Um, I, I know that that happens across the across the board, but like Arsenal have had some bad luck there. Um, Lucas Torreira, arguably our best player of the last five yeah. five games. Uh, he goes off with an injury. Hopefully, that's not too serious. Um, we lose our we lose our captain, um, Aubameyang. Then you yeah. then if you factor in fatigue, there's quite a lot of things going um, against you. But but we defended well. Like uh, like Crystal yeah. Palace scored a goal that was incredibly lucky, like a ricochet in, in the only part of the goal that Burn Leno wouldn't have got to. Um, but if you look at um, some of the xG numbers. Yeah, you know, yeah. I used I used the XG numbers heavily against uh, Unai Emery to see you know where performances were actually going, and we'll use them for Arteta as well. Um, mm. Palace's um, uh, expected goals yesterday was zero point three one. So, like th- this 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 mythical comeback from Crystal Palace didn't result in anything meaningful yeah. in front of our goal. And their best player Zaha was playing. Uh, he was kept very quiet by Ashley uh, Ainsley. Maitland Niles, yeah. um, and then if you if you want to go back um, in em- the last time we played them um, away from home, which I think was during our unbeaten run um, under Unai Emery, the twenty two game streak, um, yeah. Crystal Palace had uh, an xG of two point three eight in that game, and then in that horrific game earlier on in the season uh, where they beat us three two at home when we were chasing top four, they recorded an xG of two point five four. So if you're looking for um, progression uh, to go away from home uh, like yeah. just in general and to, to get a result it was a positive because I, I don't think under the circumstances that we had yet, uh, yesterday we would have won that under Unai Emery I think we would have folded after Torreira um, got booked and I think we would have um, collapsed yeah. uh, even further after Aubameyang got subbed and, and there's no way in a million years that uh, Unai Emery is bringing on Gabriel Martinelli uh, to, <laughs> to chase a game with 10 men yeah, um, I was thinking. You could, I, I think your point about the XG stat, not to be you know a massive football nerd, but I do think those things are important, and it's all sort of reflected in the game because I, it and it's the, the sort of feeling you have coming away from that game was not was was frustration. You know, like those you know, the game sort of like ten years ago, the sort of two thousand Arsenal two thousand eight to two thousand eleven, where it's like we were the better team and we deserved to win, but for some reason we haven't. So it was more just really frustrating. Whereas the sort of Emery era was was just complete despair at how you know we we're playing Crystal Palace. They've got eleven people out and they've created twenty eight chances against us and had fifty shots on goal. So I, th- I think you're right. I don't think it's you know we have to 
uh, caveat everything with, you know, it's still really early days and I'm, I'm super excited by Arteta, but maybe, maybe it will all go wrong. But I think there's been enough in the performances to think this is, this is more, this is better and more serious than, than the early days of Unai Emery. Cause that, that 22 game and beaten run is just a, it's just, it was, even at the time it was great, but there were people sort of saying, well, we're not, we're not, you know, these aren't convincing wins. These are a lot of them were quite fluky, um, and it wasn't really exciting football. And we were conceding a lot of chances, um, and it's almost like I think Arteta, Emery's taken all of Arteta's luck, or I feel maybe that's you know overblowing it. But certainly for for this game, and I think that we did get we did get lucky with the Leeds game. We did, we probably didn't deserve to win that, but I think the Chelsea game, that one, you talk about despair because oh, we were so dominant and for the first sort of 40 minutes and I know I've talked about tactical variation but I think that just if we can hark back to that game quickly but I think the thing that really screwed us was um was Chambers injury and, and Mustafi coming on and it wasn't just because I don't even I don't even think there's a debate there I mean like but, but, you know, Mustafi all over both of those goals oh uh, but he's but it wasn't even I mean the the the, the second goal where he dropped off and then was appalling but it wasn't it was that but it was actually when he came on, the whole team suddenly was sitting back a further 10 yards closer to our own goal. We were, we were pressing less. And it wasn't necessarily bringing Jorginho in, who's like a massively overrated player. I think it was, we suddenly, with him on, he's, he's such a nervous player. He's, he was made, brought, dragged the whole team backwards and we just gave him loads more space. So I think Arteta was sort of, we were sort of unlucky in that game, if you like. And that, well, we, we're going to come on to talk about um, how we grade him. But yeah, so... I don't think it's a reason to despair. I think it's, as I said, I think it, we're on the road to recovery. I just think it's going to take longer. It would be nice if we can start putting together a little run and getting a few more clean sheets um, would be would be really good. Um, but, you know, that I, I think that will happen, just maybe not as quickly as we hope. Yes, I agree. So um, let's, um, let's, let's head into the the next phase of the show I wanted to do like a, a, a you know a bit of a, a bit of a scorecard because we've come we've come to the end of a phase um, this will be the first time um, the Arteta has had a week uh, alone with the players so um, no midweek game so it kind of like sh- almost like closes off the Christmas period so we've we've had a number of games to look at Wanted to just get like some. Well, I wanted to talk about our top line thoughts on Arteta, and then I've just got like a, you know, I've been doing some thinking about you know why Arteta appears to be having a bigger impact on Arsenal than you know maybe some of the managers that have gone to other clubs. But yeah, overall, let's talk. Um, let, let's talk about Arteta because there are a few things that we absolutely. We're desperate for you know, like if we're if we're talking about a man in the desert uh, looking for a cracker, um, there, there are some ingredients that we wanted to find um, on that cracker to make it a little bit more palatable. And I think uh, tactics, uh, communication, coaching, uh, and impact. So those are the the four ingredients. So Alex, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot. Um, what what are we gonna what are we gonna grade Arteta out of ten so far? What, what have you seen? Okay, I, I'm giving him an, an eight. I am getting completely carried away, uh, but I think there is some justification behind it. Um, I think uh, communication has has been flawless. It's been it's been exceptional, and I think if you remember um, 
when he sort of came in, there was a lot of scepticism from some of the, the big players. You've got a lot of, you know, superstars in that dressing room, Louise and, and um, Ozil and Bamiang. There was scepticism. There was, there was issues around, you know, individuals as well. And he's, he sort of addressed that so quickly and so impressively um, that it's not even, we're not even really talking about it. You know, even things like the potential for Bamiang and Lacazette to, to move in January. Um, I don't think that's easy for anyone, but for a guy, I mean, he's a couple of years older than us. Oh, I know. Doesn't it make you sick? He's so fucking, he's so accomplished. He's, I mean, he's such an overachiever. It makes him quite. Th- th- this isn't a guy that's been to f- fucking managerial school. This is a guy that's literally been a footballer. Well, you know, one of the most selfish professions that you can ever have. And he's yeah. come out, and the way that he talks. I mean, he's so eloquent, and the author- oh, the authority in in the way that he carries himself. You you, you can't train that, right? You like yeah, the, exactly, the, exactly. The, you've either um, got it or you haven't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you you know we talked previously about. Other, you know, you, other players who who had the the track record and the pedigree, but perhaps didn't it didn't translate into being a good or an exceptional manager. And I think I'm, you know, I'm I'm really going for all the the sacred cows on this. But Omri is a player we all love and was an you know an amazing player. But as a coach, sort of the the, the, the perhaps the qualities that made him the player he was meant that he he couldn't quite be. An exceptional coach, um, because perhaps because he's so good, he can you know people weren't quite at his level or whatever. But with Arteta, I mean, as we said, he's he's not that much older than us. He's never done this before, and I think the thing that we you know we all think it's just um, you know it's about well he comes in he's got a philosophy. It's like no, like he's got a philosophy, but he has to persuade these guys who aren't that much younger than him, who've never seen him manage before, to buy into it. And not just buy into it, but work their work their bollocks off every game to, to help deliver it. And he's without he's done that without any track record. Um, so I think that is you know I'm really going you know going for it here. I think I think the other reason I want to give him a, that higher mark is I think as I said I think there there's a clear style um, which he managed to implement after one game. You know we were seeing it against Chelsea at home. And you know, people. You said earlier, people said that Emery needs forty-eight transfer windows to to get the players playing how he wants. And it's like it's just, it was just total nonsense. Um, a, a good manager and a good communicator can do it much more quickly. And I, he's had a clear style, and I think when it works, it's been really, really, really good. Um, and it's blown teams away. And the, the challenge is to make it more consistent. So I think, um, oh no, the the other sort of big point for me, I think, is um. It's again. This is the sort of the basics, but when you haven't had it for so long, it, it's really good to see. I think things like squad harmony, and I think he talks about players being less critical of each other when they make mistakes, and that was certainly something you, you sort of saw a lot of people sort of. Well, that's not my fault. That was that guy, you know. And it, it actually builds a bit of a toxic atmosphere. It means players less trust each, trust each other less. They want to try less adventurous things. So he's addressed that head on, which I think is really important. And then the the final bit I like is, and I could talk forever about this bit, this um, showing appreciation to the fans. And I know this is like the sort of Daily Mail Brexit. Oh, you know, it's going to come over and say, but it was, it's so nice that, that you know, at the end of the I think United game, the Chelsea game, they, they sort of came over as a, as a team to sort of applaud the fans, which it hasn't really happened for a long time. 
and there was unity. And I think he gets more than anyone. He said it when he when he first came in that you've got to get the fans on side. And if the fans are on side and are applauding you and cheering you, they'll they'll be more lenient when we make mistakes, when we don't win. And you can see it already. And it's just made the whole feeling around the club like much more exciting. So I was going to, just to wrap it up, basically. So those are the reasons I'm giving a high score. But the, the reason I've, I've not given him a, a 10, which I definitely would um, if I could, are obviously the results haven't, haven't gone as we would have liked. But I think I was trying to think about anything I could critique him for. And I think the only thing I could, the only thing I can think of is um, in the Chelsea game, I think he should have made a substitution a bit earlier because you can see we were retiring and then we got punished for it. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's all I can think of. Uh, what about what about you? What's your score? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bump it up a little bit. I'm going to I'm going to bump it up to an eight point five. I think that, you know, to to get those additional one and a half points, you know, he'd have to have won all of his games. Um, I think that, uh, like, f- for me, uh, he's brought back the excitement to yeah. to football. Uh, you know, I haven't been to the Emirates in a long time and felt completely electrified uh, like I did. And uh, to to turn to turn a squad that was basically, uh, you know, on their summer holidays in December to turn them around. Uh, in such a short amount of time to give belief back uh, and to make some really fucking bold decisions, I, I think it's incredible. Um, he and he, he's not placating the fans. I felt like um, Unai Emery tried to placate uh, a little bit. You know, he almost had it in his mind before he even joined the club that he was going to ostracise um, Meza Özil. And I, I think that Unai, uh, sorry, I think that Mikel Arteta has come in and he said, "Look, I'm, I know the fans don't like Granit Xhaka, but I don't care." Um, I know the fans don't like Meza Ozil. I don't care. I feel that they could be useful to the squad, and yeah. I feel like I have the capabilities to extract more. So he's he's made some unpopular decisions, and well, he's, I think sorry, he's, he's leading. He's not following, right? Yeah, he's leading, and uh, he's made some unpopular decisions. And the, the, this is the thing. This is the big difference between Unai Emery, uh, Mikel Arteta, early on. If you're going to make an unpopular decision, you have to make an unpopular decision work. And yeah. Unai Emery would consistently make unpopular decisions. They wouldn't work, and then he'd give up, and then he'd you know cede um, that kind of uh, technical authority um, back to yeah. the squad. So I'm um, I'm really excited that he's he's attacking that. I, I completely agree with you on. Um, that he has consideration for the fans. It's like, you know, he's not looking, uh, he doesn't look at a football team as just the, the players that are on the pitch. Like he looks at it as almost like a, there's an ecosystem to success. You've got, um, you've got to make sure that external stakeholders um, are happy and, and that's the fans. And I think that he speaks our language um, better than, yeah. um, better than Emery could and like really better than Wenger could for the last 14, 15 years. I think that he's done a great job at saying, look, I'm going to rally the troops behind the scenes. He's, um, he's mentioned before that, you know, when you have a vision, you have to make sure everybody is behind it because if you have one cog out of place or one department that doesn't want to play ball, the whole thing falls down. So I know that he's been doing a lot behind the scenes to make sure that, uh, you know, everybody feels happy and excited and energized. And it's notable that a lot of the players are saying, you know, he's brought the fun back to the club. Yeah. Um, so I think that's been a real positive. And then you've just got to look at, um, look at the output on, on the 
squad. Um, my favourite thing that I've seen so far this season is um, David Luiz fist pumping uh, yeah. a, a passing transition a little bit further up the pitch. You know, like yeah, he, he's yeah. he's excited about seeing good football, and for him to come out and say that he thinks Arteta could be one of the best coaches in the world, he doesn't need to do that. You know that yeah, that, that, yeah. that shows you that that shows you how excited they are um, uh, about what they're seeing and. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the results have, have have been great, but I will say I think I don't think there's a game that we haven't deserved to win so far this season. I don't think there's a game where you're yeah. like apart apart from really the the, the Leeds game, but our second half First performance. Half against Leeds, I think we were totally outplayed, but other than that, yeah, it's been yeah. It's yeah, it's it's, it's been um it, it's been it's been a real positive. So um, I, I think I think that I think that's your point earlier. Like you know. It, it, no manager is going to come into the situation that um, Arteta um, identified and you know hit the ground running and, and win all the games. Uh, I think that he has to teach the players to think differently. He has to you know to, to to train differently, and it's a completely different mindset. Like our muscle memory um, is Unai Emery, and that's a completely different style. Yeah. So I think yeah. that it's going to. I think that we have to look at the the rest of this season as um, as a long preseason. And yeah. my hope is that we have a good cup run. You know, it'd be lovely to win an FA Cup. And it seems that he's taken that extremely seriously. And I feel a lot more confident that we could do something in the Europa League now. I mean, outside uh, into Milan, I don't think anybody in, you know, that final 32 teams are, are particularly scary. I don't think Ajax are quite the team that they once were. I take any any of the Premier League sides, which I think is just Manchester United in um in that group, you know, I, I, I take any of them. So, you know, if, if we can get to Champions League through the back door this season, um, if if we can get good foundations to build from, and really, if uh, if Arteta can get a great understanding of the squad, um, hopefully, uh, Edu and I don't know how you say it, Kagayo or whatever his name is, um, you know, hopefully they have a, like a very um, you know structured plan of what they want to do to the squad this summer because I'd expect yeah. that there'll be lots of ins and outs and um, you know maybe some surprise names exiting. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm gonna give him an eight point five. And also, you know, just 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 the, the sheer shock value that I've loved. You know, I, I I have um I've been rabidly back in Mikel Arteta <laughs> for um uh, two years. People have, have have heavily mocked um but I, I knew the the the, the information that, that I was getting on him was at, like at at best, at, sorry, at worst, it was going to be better than Emery. But I didn't expect it to be as exciting as uh, and like feel as complete as it does right now. So you know, like there's there's always that little bit of um, personal happiness that I'm not being. Uh, I don't have to retire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, but there's always that unknown element, right? So he could be. You know, and and it, there's histories listed with you know Brian Kidd and Steve McLaren of, of of really really good assistant managers, but there's always an unknown about, and I I think it's a thing that no one really the th- the pressures and the the aspects of the job that no one really thinks about. You know, dealing reporting into the head of football, you know, being this the the final decision maker on on tactical issues, rather than having the safety net of the guy who will have to go out and answer to the, the press and the, and the and the players if things don't go right, all these things you you won't you won't really have a sense of how they'll cope until they're they're in the job. And I think so. It, I was basically based on what you you told me. I was quite keen for him to come as well. And I think this sort of city IP was 
would be really valuable. But he's sort of surpassed expectations, I think, in handling all those pressures of the job. And the, the other, I was even just thinking, you know, even dealing with like someone like like Freddie, who um, Freddie's older than him. He, I think he's probably coached longer than him. He, you know, that's you could understand if he felt a bit like, well, hang on a second, the club backed this guy. They haven't backed me. What, you know, why why the hell should I stay around? But even that seems to not be an issue and like all these guys you know Mertesacker and all that they seem to be bought into it which I so I think it's it's, it's quite incredible and I think as we said it, it, you know it could all go wrong but usually if you have everyone in an organisation pulling in the same direction and that bought into your philosophy it 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 usually ends up going quite well do you know what I mean it's not yeah, 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 and I, I always felt the the Freddie argument was um, was weak. It, you know, like what, what what were you what were you arguing? Um, not you personally, but like people yeah. were saying, well, if you're going to give it to Arteta, you might as well give it to Freddie. And it's like, what? So you're assuming that every single young coach in the world of football is exactly the same? You know, that's like you know, you wouldn't assume that two candidates that came into you in your workplace just because they're both 22 years old that they're both going to perform to the same ability. You have to look at like education and you know person personality um like there are so many aspects that could could be different and you know just just look at um freddie lundberg's experience you know coached um learned his trade under arsene wenger ran off with uh yonker to germany and yeah. saved wolfsburg from relegation and then the next season was fired because um the the the, the leadership team felt that uh, there was stagnation within the training camp like if there is stagnation because of your training methods within six months that's a warning sign that things aren't going to be quite right yeah the um, was, sorry but i was gonna say and there's you know again i'm probably reading too much into the tea leaves and you know these are purely opinions based on you know, seeing interviews and stuff like that. But there's also just what was the, the personality that was needed at Arsenal following the sort of disaster of Unai Emery. And I think Freddie, you know, he's a, a smart guy, really in, engaging and very, very, very sort of calm and not, you know, like sort of a bit like, well, no, that's my decision and that's it. Where, which, which is great, but it didn't feel like probably wasn't what those, that group of players needed. Whereas our test, the other thing I loved about when he came in, which I think everyone got sort of really excited about, is when he was talking about the club and bringing the, the passion back. Like he, he he's clearly a, like a massive Arsenal fan. <laughs> Considering he didn't really grow up at Arsenal, and the club kind of screwed him over with his contract as a player, and then the first opportunity as manager. It's great that he still really loves the club. So he first of all he he sort of his person. You know, as well as the tactics and all, all the coaching stuff like that, his personality, I think he had enthusiasm with the right blend of sort of enthusiasm, but also seriousness and clarity about where he wanted to go, um, which I think was sort of exactly what we needed after 18 months of just garbage um, nonsense. Yeah, and I... I, I, I... I was I was wondering the same thing. I was like, I feel like you're more of an Everton player than an Arsenal player. But I, you know, he was with Arsenal for five seasons. Um, he said that he admired um, Arsene Wenger and what he did with Arsenal. And you know, the key thing for me, especially when we were discussing you know managerial candidates like Nuno and Mourinho, mm-hmm. is it, it like Arteta mm-hmm. said Arsenal um, had values um, that were most yeah. like you know the Barcelona that I grew up with, and I love that. And then Arteta comes in, he's made captain. Um, of an extremely prestigious club and he wins two FA Cups and yeah. you, know, you know you forget that you know 
trophies is the currency of these players. You know, the, the trophies are the reason that you get invited to talk uh, after after dinner, whatevers. You know, you know yeah, when, yeah. when when Paul Merson gets to to invited to to talk at those events, it's about you know stories about winning trophies because that's what people want to hear about. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to um, just just touch on that I thought was really interesting um, is there three three clubs, uh, re- well, three major clubs re- replaced their managers um, around the same time, and we were all sniffing around the same managers: um, Spurs, Everton, and Arsenal. We all we all replaced our managers, and I think that there was, um, you know, I even had a moment where it was like maybe Jose Mourinho is the I guy. Do. Yeah. I think yeah, I mean, we all did. Right. You know, everybody has dark yeah. thoughts. I mean, you know, it, 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 everybody's into the Jose Mourinho rebirth. You know, he's different this time. Uh, such and such thing in his personal life has passed, and you but know, it, he's starting with was, a new background team. Oh, sorry, and it was also, you know, actually, there were, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I had a vulnerable moment where I thought, yeah, actually, what these players need is to really good kick up the arse and someone who's just going to rip it all up. And so he felt like it felt like he would be the person to do that. Obviously, now I repent massively and, and regret ever thinking it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. T- t- I totally agree. But it's it's very easy to buy. You know, when like Jose Mourinho, I don't think there's anybody in football whose face changes more than Jose Mourinho. But he certainly came back. He looked um, he looked trim. He looked fresh. Uh, you know, you see those first press conferences with Spurs where he's talking about, uh, you know, my son uh, calls him uh, Sanaldo Nazario. And you're like, uh, yeah. because, he, and he's talking about a goal that Ronaldo scored, you know, 25 years ago. Uh, so his son definitely didn't call him Sanaldo Nazario. That's the story that Mourinho just made up. But, uh, you know, and then Mourinho's walking around Chelsea wearing the Spurs training kit. And you're like, oh, maybe, maybe because it's the last chance saloon for Mourinho, things will come good. And there were a lot of Arsenal fans that were saying, you know, how can you, how could you say no to Mourinho and want a Mikel Arteta? And, uh, you know, I, I know people in the game, um, the, the, uh, Arsenal had, um, Carlo Ancelotti's people over for um, for conversations about the potential of of him going to Arsenal. So he yeah. was I, I I don't know whether he was under serious consideration, but Arsenal definitely spoke to them. And there were a lot of Arsenal fans that were saying, you know, how can you not want a Carlo Ancelotti uh, at, at Arsenal? And I mean, my my view of this is remains exactly the same, and I, and I am getting onto a point. Um, football is moving away from the dinosaurs. You know, Carlo Ancelotti, Jose Mourinho—they haven't upgraded their thinking, uh, they haven't upgraded their game, and they can't mm. speak to a modern generation of players on the same level. Yeah. No, no, twenty-two-year-old player really cares who Carlo Ancelotti is now. Nobody really cares about Jose Mourinho and his horrible yeah. style of football. And I think that you're you're seeing it. Um, you're seeing it on, on the pitch. Jose Mourinho has not made an impact at Spurs at all. Mm. If anything, they yeah. appear to be going backwards. Um, you know, they they had some nice moments against Liverpool yesterday, but it's certainly not um, the fire up the arse that you were kind of hoping. Um, I think. Yeah. The, there are problems at Everton, and I really don't think the casual nature of Carlo Ancelotti is going to solve them. You know, we saw at Bayern yeah. Munich that the players don't want. And I was trying to think of, you know, like why, like why are these young, like hipster, uh, you know, like types of coaches uh, really making waves in the game? You know, why is um, why is Potter able to go in? Uh, um, 
uh, at Brighton and was it no sorry he's at Bournemouth um, like what, why is he able no, to oh, sorry he's at Brighton yeah why is he able to go in at Brighton and uh, you, you know like create this brand of football that previously seemed completely beyond them um, why uh, the, the RB Leipzig look like title contenders this year under Nagelsmann who's you know made them better defensively and better offensively how can Munchen Gladbach even be in the running like why is Marco Rosa so important and it's like players don't buy into brand names anymore um, they don't buy into the past they buy into like innovative exciting coaches that understand the intricacies of the game and I was trying to think of, of why it is and I was reading something in the times and just reading around and it's like these these players have grown up with football manager you know an advanced version of football manager these players sit on their playstations and play eight hours of fifa uh, these guys are watching the best bits on on youtube about like tactical innovations in, in and around europe um uh, so the, these players are students of the game in a completely different way their focus is, is is different and you need young innovative managers that that get where the game is going nobody wants to play boring football under, under jose Mourinho anymore no one wants to play a a, 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 a game that's not as intense uh under uh, carlo and they're gravitating towards people with vision ideas and something exciting to bring and i think that that's why arteta is going to have more of an impact in the game because he just speaks to the culture a lot differently than 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 those older managers and i think like people want to improve their game they want to be exciting they don't want to be a a horrible cog in a shit housing machine anymore and i think that's why arteta is really going to do well for us but do i i wonder if it's it's simpler than that and i just think you know, it's like business or any industry, like times change and ideas change. And, um, you know, Apple were able to come in in whatever it was, 95, 97, and blow out, blow up um, the sort of personal computer market with fresh ideas. And so the reason uh, someone like Potter, is it Graham Potter? Graham Potter, yeah. Is able to come in or Arteta is because they're hungry and they've got fresh ideas and want to try to do things and they they recognise that the game is evolving and actually the sort of ticky tacky style from 2010 was blown away by the sort of pace and power style that we saw with the Real Madrid and that, and it's evolving again on something else and so I think younger managers are, constantly, are hungrier and they're constantly learning and studying the game as this evolution is happening. The older managers and we talked about it. You know, it happened with with Wenger, it happened with Brian Clough, it happens with nearly every manager other than Alex Ferguson. Is they and it happens in, in organisations in any industry. You go, well, I've been successful doing things this way. I've won these trophies doing things this way. I don't need to change. I know what I'm doing. And there's the sort of stubbornness and rigidity that comes with uh, with success or the, the complacency. And you definitely saw it with Wenger. And I think the only reason you didn't see it with... The only person you see in the English game, anyway, who seems to have been immune to it was was Ferguson and I think that because he so spoke I said more on, to him right that spoke more well, to his ability to um, adapt and he's you know didn't yeah. need to be 100% in control at all times he what, was happy to outsource ideas I, yeah I actually heard on I mean, it's on the athletic podcast um, I don't know if I was mentioned that but um, they uh, someone said he basically operated like a, a European director of football for the last couple of years so he was a man manager he was a motivator he would set the direction of the football and the club and where it was going, but basically his assistants did the the tactics and the coaching, and he changed them up every sort of three to four years. So I think the, the reality is it's, it sort of comes in cycles, doesn't it? And you know, in in five 
Mourinho's at the end of his cycle. If he has it in him, in himself to to genuinely sort of regenerate and rejuvenate his ideas, I'd be surprised because he's, you know, he doesn't seem like that kind of bloke. And you have to wonder in, you know, in five years, will 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 Klopp be at the end of his cycle? Pep seems is a guy who seems to be able to regenerate and rejuvenate his thinking, but he's sort of almost manic about it. Um, so yeah, so I, I think, but, but but you know, to to bring it around to from a quite a rambling point, I think that's why generally getting going for someone who's young and exciting and fresh and has uh, different ideas is, although it's more of a gamble, it always feels like a better idea than going for a guy like Unai Emery who had a, a sort of fairly good track record, but there was just no hype about him and he was on the sort of downward curve of his trajectory. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just think I, I just I kind of I, I like the I, I think it's very interesting that you, like that not only do you know you have to evolve ideas. I mean, you've always had to evolve ideas to a certain level, but I think your um, the the football players that are coming through now are more educated from the start because of the things that they do in their spare time. You know, like if like yeah. I, I just like the idea that the. And, and you even see it on the internet, you know. Like I work, um, like I, w- I work heavily in the, the 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 sort of the social creative side of advertising. So you know, you've always got to, you've always got to be on the internet to understand like what these kids are doing when they're coming through, and just even as a basic, like trying to keep up with um, uh, people's tastes in writing, because you know you've got a new generation of kids coming through that are watching Arsenal fan TV. But I actually think the the, the interesting thing just look at Arsenal Twitter like mm. the, the 16 and 17 year old kids coming through or like you know all the way up to like you know 30 years old um, like they have an incredible base of knowledge because they're able to access every single player every single game from around yeah. the world they, they, they literally bask in you know highlight reels and in their spare time they're creating all of these amazing um, tactical videos you know they they know the heights the weights the pace uh, the the weaknesses the strength of all these players and you're like wow like if you've got um, I, I didn't know this much about football when I was 18 or 19 years old I had a, like a very laser sharp focus on Arsenal but um, I just had stickers yeah just yeah. but but, it, but if you think you think to yourself it's because um the championship manager generation of kids coming through and the um like we were championship generation to be honest but we didn't have access to uh to go out and see who robert perez was from uh championship manager 1999 we didn't know who saviola was now these kids they find them they find the players in uh, in FIFA or these management games, then they can go out and scout them and then they can go and yeah. clip videos. And you're just like, so it, it's almost like everybody is getting smarter. And I just love the idea that you've got these kids coming through and they're, 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 they're thinking like Guardiola. And I, I think mm. that Guardiola was a unique being when he burst onto the scene and he brought everybody up to his level. And now everybody's up to his level. He's got to find the next thing. Yeah. So you'll say, you think it's not just the managers who have sort of become more, Astute. It's the uh, it's the players as well. I, yeah, I absolutely think that players are um, much more into um, in, into systems formations. I think they're much more obsessed with improving their game. There's this, there's a story in the Times that sort of lands some of these points, um, but they talk about Triore um, at Wolves, 
um, a player who is very ill-disciplined, um, but he, you know, has all of the raw ingredients. But apparently, when he was at Borough, he used to knock on um, Tony Pulis's door on the regular because he wanted to, like, ha- you know, like get some insights into, the, you know, the inner workings of the game and like his tactical oh, systems, which is it, it laughable. But you know, it just goes to show you, like, even Tony someone Pulis that's the wrong bloke, but yeah, yeah, but, but even somebody that seems incredibly erratic on the pitch, who's coming into yeah. his own massively this season, is obsessed with improvement and and uh, yeah. obsessed with like watching what others are doing and i just feel like it's a it's a generational shift in how yeah. um the kids are watching football and how the players are watching football and out the other end we're getting this spe- you know it's spectacular technical exciting football that's coming and that's why Mourinho and Ancelotti who are like either like let's park the bus and play like shit houses or um, relax, go out there, express yourself. You know, it's a dying breed now. Like it's, yeah. you know, the game's, the game's moved on. It's too fast for them. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we definitely, it feels like we've, we dodged a bullet in our game for those guys. Definitely. <sighs> yes, 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 yes. Um, and um, I, I'm, I, I think the Arsenal next season are going to be a top four force. And I'm, I'm really hoping that the season after, um, if we play our cards right uh, in mm. the transfer window, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe maybe Klopp moves to Barcelona, uh, maybe Guardiola moves to Italy, and then it frees up um, an opportunity for Arsenal to uh, mm. to have a crack at some serious trophies. Oh, that'd be exciting. Okay, well that was a that was a long podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining. Um, no, it's fine. It's great fun. And now I've got a three hundred dollar microphone. I'll definitely be dialing you in again. Um, if you're listening in on the podcast, uh, like leave a five star on uh on the itunes like there's some people that are fucking with me leaving like the four stars they're no good it's a five star or it's a one star if you're listening to this uh, an hour and 15 minutes in and you're thinking of one star you're a weirdo um yeah. uh check alex out alex what's your twitter handle oh that's a good question uh aldo underscore doll d-o-e-l give him a follow um he, he's uh got some great football insights and uh tune in next week i'll because- just say a lot a lot of it is just hating on Una Emery. Hey, listen, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there for that. I'm there for that for sure. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Ciao for now. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.